Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Katz, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of WeRSC.com's Inside the Trojan Huddle, where we tell it like it is. Friends, Inside the Trojan's Huddle is a game-like panel discussion that is posted Tuesdays in the offseason, twice during the regular season. The huddle features WeRSC columnists, staff writers, and historians. We start off with the pregame show, where we introduce our panel members for this special edition of Inside the Trojan's Huddle and then give you the latest USC Trojans football news. First, let's meet uh, Tuesday's panelists, a WeRSC columnist who writes WeRSC.com's The Monday Morass, Yay or Nay, and Sunday Takeaways. In addition to regular season football and basketball reports, he also hosts his own podcast show entitled Locked on USC, Mark Culkin. The editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com, columnist, national recruiting guru, and a graduate of USC, Eric McKenney, a former William Jewell College defensive back and WeRSC columnist who writes the popular WeRSC.com column Musings with Arledge and his own weekly WeRSC.com video show, Musings with Arledge Solo Edition. And he is a graduate of the USC Law School, Chris Arledge. And finally, a weekly WeRSC columnist who writes Fridays, the obvious and not so obvious, IMHO Sunday and is an active member of the Football Writers Association of America, your moderator and producer of Inside the Trojans Huddle, Greg Katz. Before we kick off this uh, Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojans Huddle, here's a recap in USC's football news. On Monday, the Trojans received a commitment from class of 2024 four-star receiver Xavier Jordan, six feet 160, from Chatsworth, California, Sierra Canyon High, Jordan is ranked number 72 in the country on three and has been compared to former USC wide receiver Jordan Addison. Xavier's Jordan's commitment places the Trojans in the on three top 25 for the class of 2024. And speaking of Jordan Addison, last week the NFL had its annual draft and four Trojans heard their name called at draft headquarters in Kansas City. USC wide receiver Jordan Addison was selected in the first round as the number 23 selection by the Minnesota Vikings. Defensive lineman Tuli Puipoloto was taken in the second round by the hometown Chargers. More on all the Trojans in the draft and the Trojans signed as free agents coming up later in the huddle. Sunday was the last day of the portal transfer window, number two. Last week in commitment news, Wyoming portal transfer Emmanuel Pregnant, 6'6", 318, confirmed through his social media that he would be coming to play at USC in 2023. Pregnant, originally from Denver, Colorado, has three years of eligibility remaining and figures to be a lead candidate for one of Troy's offensive guard positions. And this one final note, the Trojans are down a defensive lineman, as last week seldom used Earl Barclay, who transferred from TCU in 2022, entered the transfer portal. Friends, we are SC's Inside the Trojans Huddle. Greatly appreciate your viewer and listenership. We encourage those of you watching on sites like YouTube to click on the red subscriber button and like button. It's greatly valued and it is free. You can also listen to Inside the Trojans Huddle on many available podcast sites. And a reminder, WeRSC.com is offering a subscription special. You can get all the WeRSC premium content for just $29.99 up to August 31st, 2023 or $9.99 per month. These offers include all the off-season recruiting and transfer news, plus it takes you through training camp right through the Trojans' first game against San Jose State on August 26th in the Coliseum. 
All right. First half, we're underway. Here's the kickoff. Panel has mentioned the Trojans received another big commitment last week from Wyoming offensive uh, line portal transfer, Emmanuel Pregnon. In the current transfer portal ranking, rankings, the Trojans rank number two behind number one Colorado. Sunday, as we mentioned, was the last day for the NCAA transfer portal window second cycle. How would you rate the second portal window cycle? How do you rate the two portal windows combined, in your opinion? Did it fill up all the needs? If not, where do you see more help needed? We kick off, as always, with Mark Culkin. Give us your assessment. So combined, I give the uh, the portal class. Uh, I'm, I'm giving it an A+. Plus. Now, the it's weighted towards the first window that 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 closed just because of the numbers and they filled so many needs specifically on the defensive line but the second window so far it's not done so i guess we could call it incomplete but right now it's an a um you know they went out they they got Barry alexander which probably you know if i'm grading a little bit too harsh on mr negativity on this sh on the show apparently what gave you that impression mark yeah, i don't know um and then you bring in Emmanuel Pregnon. That, that's a great start uh, for the second portal window. Now, I would love for them to bring in one more defensive lineman. And I still think they need to bring in somebody uh, who is a dedicated offensive tackle. Uh, other than that, I think Lincoln Riley and his staff have done a outstanding job using the, using the transfer portal. Um, they're number two behind Colorado because Colorado decided just to empty their bench and put 53 players out there and have to go refill their bench. So, Mark, since you uh, mentioned it, uh, do you foresee the Trojans bringing in another uh, uh, offensive tackle, defensive tackle uh, within the near future? Lincoln Riley said they're not done yet. And, you know, initially everyone thought Cameron Johnson was going to be the offensive lineman that was SC was going to get. He hasn't made his commitment yet. Again, he's falling into that coach primetime trap. I think he's making that visit to, to Boulder. Um, everyone kind of assumed it was between USC and, and Missouri. I guess we'll find out. We will find out. Chris, what'd you think? I, I mean, I think that if you combine the two transfer portals together, you're talking about an unbelievable haul. Um, USC had, USC had, giant holes in the front seven and they pulled in they pulled in what probably six guys who are going to make a real difference up front including including two guys that have first round talent two guys that have played a lot of football and and are capable of uh, of stepping in and, and playing with their hands down and playing very well uh, a middle linebacker who I think is going to be athletic and a tackle machine, some edge guys who may be able to fill that hole. I mean, would I like to have seen them uh, pull in a, uh, pull in a, a, an all American edge rusher? Yeah. But I don't think there are a lot of all American edge rushers in the portal. And so, you know, it is what it is. Everybody would like to get an all American edge rusher out of the portal. No, it, it was um, it was a fantastic job of, of of building USC where they need to be built, rebuilding the offensive line, um, uh, building up the front seven. You say do, is more help needed? Well, what football team doesn't have doesn't have some holes in the roster? 
I mean, quite literally, Nick Saban's probably looking at his roster saying, I wish we were a little better here. I wish we were a little better there. And, and in fact, the position he's most likely saying that about is the most important position on the field, uh, which USC doesn't have to worry about. But does USC have to have more help? I don't know. To do what? To beat Georgia on a neutral field? Maybe. But USC has a top five roster in college football right now. Yeah. Wow. Is, you have a top five roster. They got the best offense in the country. And they have, and they now have a defensive backfield that looks pretty deep with talent, maybe not proven talent. They have, they have, um, if, if you, they have at least two linebackers who I think if they're healthy and playing are going to make plays all over the field and a freshman who I think is going to, is going to be there pretty quickly. Uh, and they have now a bunch more experienced, big bodies, returners that are better guys that have played at other places, two guys in, in, uh, in, in Lucas and bear who, if they, if they turn out to be what everybody thinks they're going to be are potential first round draft choices yeah. on the defensive line. That's a top five roster. That's better than Oregon. It's better than Utah. It's better than Washington. It's better than anybody else in the Pac-12. It's not better than Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia, but it's better than everybody else. And they have the best player at the most important position. I don't know, guys. That's a tough schedule. But with that roster, with that roster, you're going to be favored or should be favored to win every game. And you have a legitimate chance to make the playoff. Eric, you are the editor-in-chief of WeRSC.com. You know recruiting like the back of your hand. You agree with what uh, Mr. Arledge is saying? What's your overall assessment with these um, portal windows? It, it was good again. I mean, Lincoln Riley, they they went out last offseason and just were kind of it, it was the last 10 seconds of a supermarket sweep run where it was take this, take this, take this, and, and try to throw everything in the cart and go this one and you you had so many holes to fill that it almost didn't matter what position you were targeting because you you probably needed a guy at at every spot as you were building that roster they found a way in this window so so looking back at it there were about 13 starters that they added last off season that started significant chunks of of the 2022 season 13 guys in this transfer portal class. I have a hard time finding a guy who hasn't already established himself as a starter or looks like a very potential starter. Now you've got, you know, five guys that could play up on the defensive line. And so you're not going to end up with all of those guys starting every game just because the numbers don't work out. But those are all potential starters and, and guys who could see a ton of time. And so in this one, they really were able to be very direct. We need to go get a guy to play this spot. And, and they went out and got a pretty good guy um, at all of those spots. And, and obviously they did, like Mark said, they did most of their damage in that first window, which I think is always better to do because you get those guys in spring and, and you get the off season, the, the winter conditioning, the spring, the summer, all of it. So you can get them into the program a little bit. And then you can be even even sort of more specific after your spring ball. And that's where it's, hey, we need a big time defensive lineman. We need an offensive lineman with starting experience that we can plug into this specific spot. And so you're able to do that. And, and yeah, I think there's still a couple spots, maybe a guy who can play in the secondary safety or, or nickel to kind of give you 
a little bit more depth there, but I don't think, I don't think at any spot are you going, holy cow, we've got nothing there, you know, and, and I think you're good with kind of your front line across it. If you wanted to add um, kind of a, you know, a, a younger guy, a first year or second year player or someone like that to kind of add depth throughout as you go, I think you'd do that if, if you have a talented guy. But it sure doesn't feel like there's kind of a scramble drill right now of we got to get a guy at this spot or, or we're not going to be able to field a two deep. So, no, in, in two years, two off seasons, I guess, um, Lincoln Riley and this staff have, have done a great job in filling holes, building depth. You know, I, I think Chris mentioned if you could have a guy who was a top 10, top five pick at, at edge rusher and, and do that. But maybe that's maybe that's Anthony Lucas and and he's more of that edge guy than a than a hand of the dirt defensive lineman uh but no I, I I think you can go with this as is and I that that's absolutely the case where the transfer portal is now you always have kind of 10 15 percent of your attention hey who's who's still in there who who maybe can we go get because if you stop paying attention to it, you're, you're missing out on making your, your roster better. If you ever think, no, we're totally set. We don't need anybody else. But at this point, they're in a great spot. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, they are in a great spot. I would give them an A. Uh, you know, it's the, it's the total uh, numbers uh, with the two uh, cycles um, combined. I, I would like to see them uh, pick up one more defensive lineman, one more offensive lineman, but you know, when you, ESPN had a, a story uh, that ran today of the top, uh, I think it was 15 or 20 uh, uh, rankings of transfer portals, and uh, SC had the top two players. One was Bear Alexander, a defensive lineman, of course. And the other one was uh, Pregnon, the offensive lineman. And I'd say when you're getting the top two uh, in those type of rankings, you're doing pretty good, and it's very easy to see that they are going to be slotted in. So... Uh, you know, I, I'm just kind of curious to see how going forward here, uh, how Lincoln Riley, if he adds more credibility now or more interest in the transfer portal, I, I don't know if interest is the proper word, but uh, they're doing so well and there's so many positives. You know, the first thing I look at a transfer is how many years of eligibility does he have? Uh, and, uh, you know, you start getting guys with three years of eligibility that are considered really major players in your program well it doesn't get much better than that in my opinion all right let's move on to uh talk about the full usc and the nfl draft in the second half of the huddle we're going to talk about that but your thoughts on the fact that two of the top three usc draft selections were one-year transfer portal guys and we're talking about a wide receiver jordan addison and defensive back Makai Blackman both went to the Vikings. What are your thoughts and the and what message is being sent out to potential transfer players in the future coming to USC based on the Addison and Blackman one and done as transfers? What do you, what do you think, Mark? I think USC is becoming Minnesota's pipeline. Um, look, it's obvious they they like the fact that Jordan and Makai went up against each other during practice as often as possible. I'm sure they saw that film. But, you know, what the message it's sending to transfers is, hey, you're probably good where you were, but if you want to come to LA and play for USC, you're going to get a lot more exposure 
you're going to get coached up uh, and you're going to be selected higher in the draft than maybe you thought you might not have been in the past. You know, Mikhail Blackman, everyone thought this guy was going to be what, fourth, fifth, sixth round guy? Jumped up into the third round. Everyone knew Jordan was going to be a first round pick. Um, had he not gotten hurt last year, he probably slots, you know, maybe a couple slots higher. His numbers would have been better. But I look, this transfer portal thing is such a, it, it, it's new. Um, so there's not a whole big, you know, uh, sample size to work with. But it's working for USC right now. Two guys came over. And, um, you know, when you're picked in the top, what, 150 players, you're probably going to be playing in the league for a while. They, they think you're pretty good. So I'm, I'm assuming other, you know, transfers who are considering USC are going to say, hey, how bad can it be playing in L.A. for a year? NIL, playing for Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, maybe even a national championship coming up, future championships. I think it's going to resonate. It's not going to hurt. Chris, this is a really kind of an interesting thing when you get Addison and Blackman, one-year guys, and they're in the league. If you're a pure player looking to transfer, how big is an advantage is it for USC uh, to show other transfers? I think one of the things I think you would agree with me on this is uh, during the other guys' uh, era here at Troy, uh, okay, we'll just say the name, Clay Helton, the question was always development of players. If you're a player that's a transfer, what's the big message that you see being sent to you? Well, I'll, I'll deal with the Clay Helton issue first. I mean, if you look at this draft, you have two guys that Clay Helton recruited that got drafted. And one of those guys was, uh, had his draft stock go up pretty significantly because Sean knew his help over the last uh, couple of years. Um, so, we already knew that Clay's recruiting had dramatically fallen off from where USC should be and his development had, and you're just seeing that. You have, uh, you have four guys get drafted, two of them were one-year rentals because we didn't have anybody who could, uh, who could do what those guys could do. Um, but enough on Clay Helton. Although if you want, to, if you want more about Clay Helton, I've, uh, I put part one of my history of the recent, of recent USC football up we don't get to Clay yet. That'll be next week. But uh, go read that. Maybe you'll like it. Maybe you'll hate it. I don't know. It brings back a lot of bad memories, to be honest. Um, I don't know that Jordan Addison's time at USC means a whole lot to recruits, other than that it's probably cool that a guy who was already a Blitnikoff winner thought that USC was a nice place to land. But USC didn't get Jordan Addison to the first round of the NFL draft. Jordan Addison was already a guy who was – NFL scouts already knew who he was. Um, but I think Blackman getting into the third round is a nice feather in Dante Williams cap. And, and here's the thing. Uh, a lot of people, I'm one of them, have been somewhat critical of Dante over the last few years as a guy who's a fantastic recruiter, but you hadn't been seeing the development from these players that you would have wanted to. And I've been critical of him, but this is an example of him taking a guy who was not a top three draft choice he comes to USC, he plays extraordinarily well, uh, and he sneaks into the top three. So Dante, you know, Dante has something to talk about, and USC has something to talk about to defensive backs. So I think that's nice when you're talking about uh, potential transfers or even or even freshman recruits in uh, in the future. Eric, how's, how do you how do you view that? And do you think that Dante Williams has uh, through the transfer portal 
uh, taking some of the heat off of himself. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know how much heat there was. He was the one holdover that Lincoln Riley kept. That that certainly says something about what Lincoln Riley believes about him. Uh, but no, M- Chris is right. Makai Blackman is is the guy to look at in that draft, and and what USC was able to do for him is exactly what all of these transfers want. I mean, he jumped, I don't know, three, four rounds in the draft by coming to USC. And maybe he would have played that well at Colorado, but Colorado was so bad this last year that it it would have been tough to kind of develop that sort of shine, I I think, for a defense. I know we're talking about bad defenses at Colorado and and not at USC, but Makai Blackman came to USC, played really well, got in the spotlight a little bit for a good team and saw that pay off in the draft. And, and that's what USC is going to try to sell to a lot of these transfers. So to do it in year one with Lincoln Riley bringing on in all these guys, that's big. Jordan Addison, yes, he was a first rounder, but he didn't fall out of the first round and come into USC, which again, you, you want to check that box. If, if a big time guy is making the move, to your program, you can't let them down. You can't let them drop out of the first round and become a second, third round pick and and not, you know, prove that he's that guy. So that's big too. The Voorhees thing is, is tough. I mean, that, that's just the absolute worst timing for an injury. I think the fact that he still got drafted says a lot about what people believe uh, his ability to be. Um, and then Thule going in, in the second round, that that tweener label that can get stuck on guys can hurt you in the draft. And so for him to still stick there in the second round and not see a, a significant fall, um, I think was good. Again, good for him, good for USC, good for Sean Nua to be able to kind of show people, hey, I, you know, there, there's a second round pick uh, coming out of this defense. So, yeah, ultimately, I think I think the Makai Blackman story is the one you feature from this in what USC was able to do and and what he was able to do right that story that he has coming out of high school not having anywhere to land going to a junior college playing his way up I mean just up the ladder rung by rung by rung until he's a third round pick which is really an achievement we we get into a situation with recruiting and the draft right if you're not a first round pick if you're not a five star that's somebody telling you you're terrible to be drafted at all to be ranked in the top i don't know 400 in the country as a recruit like that that you've proven something already and so i i think just kind of off topic there with makai like absolute congratulations to him on, on what he's been able to do with his football career so far yeah we'll talk about the draft in the second half i i want to just kind of wrap uh, this particular question up by saying so much positive energy that's being out there going to players both in high school and in uh, the transfer portal and let's not forget that a lot of players that sc might be recruiting in high school that don't go to usc are going to have in their mind if you go to sc as a transfer you know i'll get i'll get developed and i can still make the league and that may be the best right now a lot of positive vibes coming out I, I think it's really um a real advantage at this this point in time uh panel is there a player out there still at his original college that you actually expected to see jump into the portal 
and for the Trojans to pursue. Mark, was there somebody that you thought was going to jump into the portal or hoped would jump into the portal from uh, the opposition that SC might uh, scoop up? You know, and I was looking at this strictly from a name image likeness standpoint um, and kind of also to troll Ohio State because USC will be joining that conference. Marvin Harrison, uh, you know, that's the type of thing where an agent says, hey, Marvin, you know you're going to be a major star in the NFL, but let's capitalize on you and Caleb Williams playing together for one year in LA. I know there was some stuff floating around that it might possibly happen. I was kind of hoping that would, because that would be one of those data points where all of a sudden you're saying, this is how USC is going to be a major power player with the transfer portal, with elite talent who wants to come get paid for a year and just get the maximum exposure. So just from that aspect, there really wasn't anybody out there that I cared about. But just a, I think that would have been really unique had that happened. You know, you had Jordan Addison last year. In my opinion, you're stepping up when you go to a Marvin Harrison Jr. Because there's people actually considering taking him number one overall. Now, there's only I've only heard Joel Klatt say that, but we understand why he doesn't like Caleb Williams or USC. Why 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 do you say that? I'm curious. You he don't like your thing? He took a beating when he was playing at Colorado, and I think he saw what happened last year. Wow. All right, uh, Chris. You see anybody that you hope would go into the uh, into the portal and SC would uh, gobble up? Not really. I mean, I I have no idea who's thinking about going. I I read the same rumors everybody else does, but I never know where those come from. And even if they come from the player or the people around the player, you don't know why. It could just be that rumors that they're going to jump on the portal and go to USC helps uh, helps raise NIL dollars at home. So, uh, so no, there was nobody that I was expecting to jump in that did. For that matter, there's nobody that jumped in that I was expecting, other than USC players who I figured probably would need to go. Um, but other guys, I have no idea what's going to happen. And, and I'll be honest, Emmanuel Pregnant is a name I had not heard until about a week and a half ago. So while I'm excited to hear him, it's not like I'm so up on all the rosters of the other 120-something schools that I'm... I'm scouring them for guys who probably aren't being developed as well, who may jump into the portal. We probably have people at USC doing that work, but nobody's paying me to do it. Eric? Uh, before that, just more clarification, and not that Joel Clyde needs defending, but his list was Marvin Harrison as the number one player in college football, and we can debate that, but he he acknowledged Caleb Williams is, is the top draft pick. He's, he's the number one pick next spring. Um, so I, no, right. Like, I, I don't know what their situation is. I don't know what other players on other programs are angling to make with NIL or what their, yeah, everyone's depth chart looks like in terms of guys who jumped in that I would have liked to see USC either, either make a run at or finish off the recruitment of, um, I, I think it's, it's the defensive lineman, the edge guys, right. Josiah Stewart came in from coastal Carolina and, wound up at Michigan and Deshaun McCullough uh, went in from Indiana, ended up at, at Oklahoma. And then um, Braden, Braden Fisk, I think went from, where was he? Western Michigan. I think he ended up at, at Florida state. So, so those were a couple guys 
again, up front. If you look at who, who USC got, I don't know if there's anyone where you'd go, oh, I'd trade him for him. But when they came into the portal and USC showed some level of interest, uh, when they went elsewhere, I, I remember thinking, oh, that, that would have been kind of a, a nice um, addition. But trying to guess who's going to go in, who's not going to go in, it it just, I, I mean, I can't imagine... I can't imagine being a, a college football coach where which rumor is true. What are you hearing kind of in the locker room of guys possibly going in? I know the Wyoming head coach, uh, Craig Bowl had talked about like the, the manual pregnant thing had been kind of weeks in the making of, is he going to go? What am I hearing? Or, you know, how's this going to work? Uh, I just can't, just can't imagine trying to, trying to keep up with all of that on your roster and everybody else's, else's roster yeah you know uh boy i tell you it's it's always tough uh, to be a college football coach when you consider uh before the transfer portal uh you never really know what's going on in the locker room you hope that your captains will get it straightened out you'll be informed but one player that i thought might jump in the portal i was hoping he would jump in the portal was uh david bailey from uh stanford uh I thought that there was a real opportunity. Of course, we know that uh, Bailey is very strong on the academic part of his life. Uh, but I thought, you know, the Trojans gave a real uh, real run at him. And I thought, well, with this change in, in coaching at Stanford, maybe that would uh, have him reassess it. But, you know, I thought that uh, Lincoln Riley made a really great point recently when he said, you know, USC isn't for everyone. Uh, because there is so much uh, tension. You know, it's hard to, uh, if you're from an outsider's point of view, uh, to understand that how it, how big USC is in a city of champions at the professional level, the Rams winning the Super Bowl, the Dodgers always in the play. I mean, it's one superstar after another. You know the names. And some players, I think, don't want to be in that. I think uh, Lincoln Riley may have mentioned the word fishbowl. Uh, I, too, thought that Marvin Harrison Jr. would have been a wonderful addition uh, for all the reasons that are said. But uh, I think uh, with Eric said this idea of I would I trade him for him. I think the Trojans are very happy with what they got. Now, a panel in a recent WRSC premium interview with Lincoln Riley by our Scott Trader, uh, which was part of our premium content. Uh, Lincoln Riley went into somewhat in depth of the many different approaches and different strategies that he and his entire recruiting staff have for national and local players. Uh, again, Riley said uh, his program uh, will hold another similar extravaganza uh, coming up like last June when over 20 big time players had a massive Hawaiian luau party at the coach's luxurious home in Palos Verdes estate, which overlooks the Pacific Ocean. Regarding last year's recruiting events at his home, Riley told Scott Schrader, it was really a cool experience with a big group. We love seeing people get out here and loving what we're doing and momentum behind it. And this year, we're not just selling a vision for the program. Now guys have seen the results on the field, seen all the momentum. It's a little bit more real, <clears throat> excuse me, panel. What recruiting strategies by Riley and his recruiting staff have you found to be the most interesting, uh, impressive, and or effective with both transfer portal and high school prospects? Mark, I know you follow recruiting uh, religiously. 
what is the most impressive thing or some of the most impressive things about the way Lincoln Riley goes about his recruiting of transfer and high school players? I, I like how he does everything. I don't know. It's kind of, it flies under the radar, kind of. You, you, you think you know what's going on, but you, you really don't. Um, obviously, his his recruiting strategy is working. He's got the, the system in place with Annie Hansen. Um, I don't think cost is a factor from what we've heard behind the scenes. Those June bashes, it's not just one they have. They, they usually, you know, last year they had two. Uh, the big one, obviously, they had, what, 14, 15 commitments out of the, what was it, 20 or 25 guys who showed up at the second one. So it works. Um, sometimes you don't need to recreate the wheel. So just continue doing what he's doing. Um, I know it seems like he focuses, or he and his staff are all over the place nationally. And people wonder, well, are you shirking the, the local high schools? They're not. Uh, they just have, they have a method that they're approaching with. It's character over talent. And I think people need to realize that, that while everyone wants the five-star, um, they're looking for the right locker room culture. It has to be the right fit. So there's nothing to complain about with recruiting right now. I know people would like to see more defensive linemen, offensive linemen early, I guess. Um, but it's, it's, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. So as far as his recruiting, I have very little to complain, to complain about. Uh, can we, someone write that down? Mark has very little to complain about. Chris, now I, I don't think you're going to complain, but what, not, what not do a you, complainer, Greg. I know, no, you, you, you certainly aren't no question about that. Yeah. Uh, Chris, what impresses you about the way Lincoln Riley is recruiting and how he does maybe something a little different with transfers or high school players? What's your, what's your assessment? Can I first say that you focused on the last part of Mark's answer? I want to focus on the first part where Please he said do. nobody really knows what's going on. I think it's brave of Mark to admit that he has no idea what's going on with recruiting, especially just seconds after you talked about how he follows it religiously and you introduced him as a recruiting expert. That's, That's brave. How you took that one. That's brave. <laughs> uh, okay, so. I think what's been most impressive about what Riley's done with recruiting is how he has seamlessly transitioned into this NIL realm, which is brand new, and done it in a way that I didn't expect. What I expected was that Lincoln Riley would demand that he get cash to pay players the way Oregon and Miami and others do. But that hasn't been his, that hasn't been his take. He's decided, I'm not going to do that. What I am going to do is go and fill holes in my roster with transfers who I know can step in, who are proven guys who can play. And when you think about it, I mean, you would expect that over time, USC will have 80% of its starters, 80% of its too deep filled with guys they recruited right out of high school, right? But what it means, I think, is that Riley can look at a guy and say, you know what, if Oregon's gonna give that guy a bag of cash to sign with them, I'll wait he's probably not going to play this year anyway. And I'll go find somebody in the transfer portal who's already established themselves as a major college football player. And I'll plug him into that spot on the roster. I think it's, it, it's, it's an interesting way to handle it. And I think a successful way to, to navigate this. So that's what's been most impressive to me. 
Um, yeah, that's all I've got to say. All right, Eric, what have you got to say about it? What uh, what really strikes you? Uh, Lincoln Riley is involved in with every kid, with every kid that he wants. He is like the lead recruiter of anyone that that kid talks to from the USC staff and from from any staff. I I think. I mean that that's a little bit of hyperbole, but Lincoln Riley is as involved in recruiting each kid that he again his kind of top targets in the class as any head coach in college football, and that absolutely stands out when you hear what the recruits are saying about kind of their connection with him. And it stands out looking at kind of previous success stories with USC recruiting and also when they couldn't get some of those guys. Uh, and then how organized it is. There's always this, we, we see people on the message board and fans constantly worried. If you bring in 20 official visitors, how can you possibly spend time with all of them? Aren't they going to feel like they didn't get time with anybody. If you have an unofficial visit weekend with 200 kids on campus, how are they possibly going to feel like they got any sort of special attention? They do it. They do it. You talk to some of these kids that come out of these weekends and it's like, did you get any time with your position coach O'Reilly? Yeah, absolutely. Got, got time with him in his office, got to sit down, got to talk to the position coach. And so the organization it takes, and and Mark mentioned Annie Hansen as, as kind of one of the leaders in that regard, the organization it takes and the attention to detail it takes to pull off some of these weekends that they're doing, it, it's, it's incredible. Uh, and the effects of being able to get big weekends early in the recruiting calendar and those guys to come back, either repeat unofficial visits or for official visits, it's it's pretty remarkable how they can bring a guy out for an unofficial visit and it makes such an impact that they'll come out for another unofficial visit. And, and these are trips. I mean, coming out from Texas, coming out from, from the Southeast, from back East, uh, they want to be around USC because of kind of the environment that they're able to create on, on some of these weekends. And that's big. You you know, you always had the, oh, well, he's just coming out to take an official visit to Los Angeles, which I'm sure still happens. But you're seeing more. No, no, no. There's there's real interest in the program and what some of these recruits feel like they can learn about college football and about college in general when they when they take these trips right now. So it's it's a really good sort of breadth and depth experience for a lot of the recruits coming out uh, where they can get a lot out of these visits, even if they're there with the, with a big crew. Yeah, you know, I have to say that I think the best recruiter I have seen prior to Lincoln Riley at USC, and this goes back to the John McKay era, era was Pete Carroll. I, he was like, don't, I think Ed Odron once said, uh, you know, when you recruit with Pete, uh, you know that when he comes in to close the deal, it's a done deal. And he says, even when he was uh, went his own way to be a head coach, he said, you don't want to get into a recruiting uh, struggle with Pete Carroll because you're going to lose most of the time. I think the thing about uh, Lincoln Riley, like Pete Carroll, is when you are around him, you feel like, and this goes to your point, Eric, you feel like he really knows you 
that you have a, a comfort zone with him, like Pete Carroll. Very few people can really do that. Uh, some coaches have an edge to them. Uh, Saban has an edge to him, but he's such a, a incredibly successful coach that he was like kind of like John McKay in that uh, you just walk into his office and you're like, okay, it's not what he really uh, tries to sell you on. It's just his uh, aura, his persona. But I think that the overall structure of recruiting uh, in today's recruiting world uh, by Lincoln Riley and his understanding of Los Angeles, I know he talked with Pete Carroll about it, but I think he's on the verge if they really have a big season again uh, this season and they accomplish what they couldn't finish at the end, uh, really on the verge of taking USC's recruiting to a level that's going to make it very difficult, uh, even when SC is in the Big Ten, he gets kids to come out to LA and I, you know, we've all seen what he does, you know, come up to my home, we'll overlook the ocean is like, boy, I could get into this. And I think not enough attention has been given to people such, I think the name Annie Hansen was brought up just what an impact she and her staff have done. Uh, I'm going to make a shameless plug here, but uh, Chris, if you could get Annie Hansen on your uh, show uh, to talk about SC, uh, in their recruiting, I think it would be fascinating. So uh, just a little seed planted there. Uh, we're gonna move on here to halftime uh, because we do have a tight show here and we wanna uh, keep it moving. Uh, the college football playoffs, better known as CFP uh, today, which is Tuesday, announced the official game dates and bowl assignments for the 2024-25 college football seasons. The new dates are the next step in the transition uh, to a 12-team playoff set to begin in 2024, as uh, most of you know. We're going to concentrate here on the schedule of the 2024 season, but uh, for those of you that did not know this as an official, uh, because it just came out, uh, here's the way the playoff is going to work, and certainly fantasize a little bit about if SC actually gets in the playoffs, which we're all rooting for, of course. The first round is going to be on campus, you knew that, but it's going to be one game is going to be on Friday, December 20th, uh, 2024. That, that one game will be an evening game. It will be followed uh, by Saturday, December uh, 21st, three games, one in the early afternoon, late afternoon, and evening. Again, those are three games. Uh, all four combined uh, are going to be on campus. So, you know, it's possible SC could be hosting a game in the Colony uh, come that time. Uh, moving to the quarterfinals, uh, the quarterfinals will take place Tuesday, December 31st. That will be the uh, Arbo Fiesta Bowl. That'll be played in the evening. And then Wednesday on January 1st, it'll be a kind of a traditional Chick-fil-A. Peach Bowl will be in the early afternoon. Rose Bowl will be late afternoon. All-State Sugar Bowl will be in the evening. Moving along to the semifinals, and this is where we start to extend the playoffs. Uh, Thursday, uh, January 9th. Uh, 2025, the Capital One Orange Bowl will be an evening game. And then the second semifinal will be on a Friday, January 10th, 2025. That will be the Goodyear Cotton Bowl Classic, which will be also held in the evening. The CFP National Championship game will be on Monday, uh, January 20th, 2025, in the Mercedes-Benz uh, Stadium in Atlanta, Georgia, which is also, by the way, Atlanta is the home of the College Football Hall of Fame. The exact kickoff times for each of these games, of course, will be announced later. 
And just as a brief reminder, the field of 25 will be comprised of six conference champions ranked highest by the selection committee, no minimum ranking requirement, plus the six highest ranked other teams. Uh, again, it'll be done by committee, but I know that was a lot of information, but it's certainly important information that you can chew on. Panel, your overall thoughts on this new official college football playoff information. Uh, we'll start off with Eric. What, what do you make of all of it? Do you like it? What don't you like about it? Did they do it the right way? It is official. Your thoughts? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, we're going to figure it out. We watch, you know, the talking about, I think a lot of the conversation will be you're, you're playing college football games during the middle of the week. Uh, you know, a, a big game on a, on a Wednesday and a Thursday. We watch college basketball championship game on a Monday. I mean, it, it's kind of just how how things work with TV now. And, and when you're playing that many games now in the playoffs, right at the same time as the NFL going, you're always going to be up against it in, in terms of TV. I mean, you look at the most watch, you know, telecasts of the year and what is it like the top 50 or NFL games or something? I mean, that that's, that's King. And so you're always going to run up against it when you do that. So you do what you can to shift. I know a lot of people are really excited about, uh, I think it's the, the semifinals that go Thursday, Friday, right into NFL playoffs, Saturday, Sunday. And so you get like a big run of it. When you're talking about kind of the lead up to it, it's tough to find where that fits. What, what are these big shows going to be talking about? Are they talking about the NFL playoffs? Are they talking about college football playoffs? So all of that being said, I'm excited to, to see what it looks like. I mean, I, I don't have to be bothered with what the TV ratings are and what, you know, ad revenues being made or, or anything like that. I like that those early games are held on, on a campus. I think you absolutely deserve if you're one of those teams to be able to host a game. And I think the atmospheres at those places are going to be uh, in, incredible. So I, I'm looking forward to that. And then, yeah, I mean, what, where are you going to put those other games? You got to play somewhere. And so, yeah, you're going to go up against, I think, some NFL in some of the, the early rounds. But look, we've, we've already become accustomed to watching the biggest college football games in the middle of the week anyway. And, and if you're coming from the Pac-12, you're used to watching games in the middle of the week for, for years now. So it's kind of right. Or not, or not watching them. Or not, or not be the fact that there's going to be Friday night games on that you can actually watch, I think is big news for USC fans and, and PAC 12 fans. Yes. Mark, you like it? I just hope that the playoffs don't take as long as your intro talking about the playoffs thing, but I'm fine with it. Other how, how they have it set up. Um, home field advantage for the best teams. Use the the existing bowl uh, bowl facilities for for quarterfinals, semifinals. That's great. Um, as far as I'm actually, I, I like the fact that they're going to be doubling up with the NFL. I think that's going to increase, believe it or not, increase viewership because NFL is still the number one most viewed sport in this country, and college football isn't that far behind it. So. I can actually see this of turning into, oh, by the way, uh, your first playoff game is going to be USC versus Ohio State, followed thereafter by the Rams versus the Dallas Cowboys. I, I think eventually that's what you're going to see. 
it's just you're going to have a complete marriage but the direction they have to start somewhere let's see where it goes from there i think eric did a great job covering it there's really not a whole lot more to add well, I know, Chris, you must have a lot more to add. Did you, you like it? Chris? Me. What do you mean by that? You're chippy like Mark is. Mark got chippy. Oh, no, don't, don't, no, no, no. Don't put me in the same. No, but you, no, but you heard him. He he was criticizing your, your question, which was about Mark, 12 Mark, minutes Chris, long. Mark would criticize. So you agree with me, Chris? Of course it was long, but I wasn't going to say Mark, Mark would Mark would criticize right. uh, uh, New Year's Eve. Yeah, your, your intro <laughs> took as long as a first quarter takes. All right. I... <laughs> You guys are fighting. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get us back to football. I wish here's you what here's what jumps out at me about this. When you think about what the 2024 season should look like for USC, it's gonna be much easier to make the playoff, right? I mean, you have you can you can get in with two losses, maybe if you're the right team and had the right schedule, maybe even with three. So USC is gonna open with LSU. They're gonna play Notre Dame. They're gonna have UCLA, and you can be sure that the networks are going to want a USC, Ohio State, or Michigan, or Penn State, at least one of those, maybe two. And then if USC makes the playoff, you're talking about these playoff games against highly rated teams. I mean, we've had seasons where you have maybe a couple of big weekends, but I mean, I'm looking at 2024 and I'm saying, shoot, USC is going to have like five or six massive, massive games. Uh, which is going to be just an unbelievable amount of fun. And, and look, uh, when you're talking about even that first round, when you're talking about, um, you're talking about what it's like to be five against five against uh, 12 and, 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 and um, uh, six against 11, you show me a lineup where over the course of a weekend, I get to watch a bunch of games where you have number five, number six, number seven, and number eight, hosting highly ranked teams at their stadium that's an unbelievable week in the college football i mean this is going to be this is going to be so huge um in cultural impact money i mean everybody loves march madness and nobody watches regular season college basketball the, the seasons nobody even knows who these kids are because only, the good ones only stick around for a year college football is already wildly more popular once you once you go down this path the uh, the cultural impact it's going to have is going to be unbelievable. And I don't think they'll catch the NFL, but they're going to gain on the NFL and they're going to clearly separate college football as a number two sport in America. And I don't think and I don't think number three will be close anymore. So it's pretty exciting, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's a big winner. I think to start off the court, the opening round on a college campus, so much of college football is uh, tradition, excitement, motivation. Uh, you're going to feel it at home if, you know, if you're watching it on TV. And, you know, the thing about like the uh, NCAA men's basketball tournament, nobody complains about uh, Thursday through Sunday watching watching games. And I think the fact the way they split it up, there's going to be that intrigue. I think the big difference is going to be you'll have the entire nation watching it because uh, you're going to have teams from the West Coast, to the East Coast, uh, and so on and so forth, which I think they've been missing in the last uh, several years, even if, even if it was a weak pack 12 team, you'd still want to get uh, the, the, uh, re that particular region in it. Uh, obviously uh, that's going to all change, but uh, I, I wish it was this coming season, honestly, especially with Caleb Williams, probably his last season, but uh, it's certainly going to be worth the wait and kudos to the uh, college football for moving it up to 2024. I think it's going to be an absolute mind blower.
You know, the j just the last thing, the thing that I think I've undervalued is when you talk about the 12 teams that are in there, that that path to winning is especially if you have one of those early games is is going to be crazy like they I, I've seen you know look back and you know people have mocked up like what the playoff bracket would have looked like this last year you USC was gonna go was gonna have to go Alabama probably Michigan probably Clemson probably Georgia like they they had to win those games against those teams in that order, whoever wins this, this, this might be the most well-earned trophy in, in sports at this point in terms of getting big time team after big time team. Like you can win a basketball national championship because you kind of got, got an easier path, especially earlier on. And, and if you get a final four team that is an eight or a seven or something like that, I just, I, I don't know if you're going to see a 12 sneak in there like you're you're gonna have to beat at least three very good to great teams and and it's gonna be it's gonna be something else i think when you actually see this thing play out indeed indeed all right let's uh let's move on to the second half kickoff here by taking a look uh, back at the concluded just concluded nfl uh, draft held in kansas city uh panel four trojans of course were selected in the seven rounds says just a quick review Round one, 23rd pick, wide receiver Jordan Addison, selected by the Vikings. Round two, 54th pick, defensive lineman Tuli Tuyapolotu, selected by the Chargers. Uh, uh, round three, 102nd pick, cornerback Makai Blackman, selected by the Vikings. And in round seven, 2029 pick, offensive lineman Andrew Voorhees, selected by the Baltimore Ravens panel. Was there anything about the Trojans in the draft that were selected that excited you, disappointed you, or surprised you, Chris? Well, in the four guys that got drafted were the four guys that I think we all thought probably would. Uh, Tooley and Blackman went maybe a little bit higher than I than, than I feared they might, which was nice to see. Voorhees went a little bit lower than I would have hoped, but but the truth is he's a guard, and guards don't get picked as high as tackles, and he's a guard with a blown-out ACL, so getting picked at all actually is, is quite an accomplishment. Um, so, no, I think it played out sort of how I expected it to play out. And, uh, and I think it's really nice, especially for Thule and Blackman, who, who moved up a little higher than, than a lot of people expected, which means a little bit more money and probably means an easier path to making a roster. Um, not that I think either one of those guys were, were, were likely to get cut anyway. But, no, it, it played out as I expected, and it was, it was a good, uh, good day to be a Trojan fan. Eric, anything? Uh, did you? What did you find exciting, disappointing, surprise? Uh, I, I mean, I went into the Makai Blackman stuff. I, I was really excited for him, and and Tuli getting to stay local in Los Angeles. I, I think that's always kind of a, a fun story. The Addison thing was, I, I guess, if you're looking, I mean, the the Voorhees thing was a disappointment, but that was a disappointment months ago when he got hurt because you knew what that would do uh, to to his stock, but. Addison may be going fourth in that run of receivers, but I do think that, you know, playing next to Justin Jefferson, that that's not a bad spot for him to land. So if, if you're disappointed that he wasn't, you know, the number one receiver or, or number two, they all got bunched together and, and he certainly ended up in a, in a spot where you're not all that disappointed for him in terms of what he might be able to do early on. So 
Yeah, it's not, you, you weren't expecting nine guys to get drafted and only three of them got picked or anything. I mean, the, the guys who went were the guys you expected to go. And ultimately, I think landed in, in a lot of really good situations. The Vikings absolutely need guys who can play in that defensive backfield. And Makai Blackman's going to get a ton of chances, especially because when you're a third round pick compared to a sixth round pick, they're going to keep wanting to put you out there and, and see what you can do. And then Voorhees is kind of a stash pick that Baltimore is always going to run the ball well. It's well-run organization. You've got, you know, that that quarterback behind you now who can make up for some misses and and all that. So again, good good spots for all those guys. Uh Mark. Yeah, no. Look, Thule, he not only does he get to stay home, but he gets to learn from a couple of really good players in front of him, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack. Uh that that's a great spot for him to go. What surprised me was Brandon Peely. Uh, he, yeah, he's an undrafted free agent, but if it's true what his agent's saying, he's getting a $100,000 signing bonus. Miami did not draft any defensive line players. That's telling me they have a plan for Brandon, and he's probably going to make that roster because you typically don't give six-figure signing bonuses to undrafted free agents. Uh, as far as Voorhees is concerned, um, what he did on one leg when it was time to do the bench press, that alone should have bumped him up at least one to two rounds. You knew he was going to get a red shirt year in 2023 because of what happened, but put in his film. The guy can play left tackle, left guard, right guard, right tackle. He's a pretty versatile player. I wouldn't put it past him to play center. So, to me, that was the really disappointing part, and that's why I, I'm not a big fan of the NFL Combine. He didn't have anything to prove there. What he ended up doing was proving that, hey, I'm hurt, but I'm going to fight through it. He could have done that at USC's Pro Day. But as far as surprises, no, I, I think everybody it landed in the round they anticipated. We brought up Makai Blackman, um, fourth round, third round. Fourth round, I think, was the high point for him going into the draft. So he he moved up a round, but he earned it. And other than that, the draft is fine. Well, I was excited for Blackman I to see him move. I I was kind of like uh, saying, when are they coming? When are they going to take him? Uh, but my real focus, actually, and I had texted Eric uh, on draft day uh, on the final day. I'm going, oh, man, I'm I'm really concerned about Voorhees. And then, you know, sometimes out of a, a rainstorm comes a rainbow. And the fact that that he could be drafted by a team that loves to run the ball, a team that is going to allow him, and we're talking about Baltimore, a chance to develop uh, and, and take a look at him at long range. Uh, given all that he had to go through, I, I think it turned out pretty well for him. You know what? He'll make his money down the road, but just... Sometimes it's where you, who you, who drafts you uh, that can have a big say in your career. And I think that he's at the best possible place he could be given all the circumstances. Now, of the Trojans drafted that we just talked about, which one will have the longest and most successful NFL career and why, Chris? Well, I mean, the, the wild card with that always is who can stay healthy, right? So you would think that your wide receivers and your corners at least aren't taking the constant physical punishment 
Uh, and so you, you'd think those guys would have the best chance of, of staying healthy for a while. I, I think Thule could surprise. I, you know, he did not have he didn't have the numbers in terms of, uh, of, of, of weight, 40 time and the rest that, that the NFL is looking for in terms of uh, big time edge rushers. But the thing is, he's a, he's an excellent football player with a great motor who has a lot of versatility. I mean, one of the nice things about playing for USC last year, if you're Thule is that, is that half the time you were the only guy in the defensive line that was doing anything. And so they would move you around in order to, so, I mean, he's playing three technique, uh, one play, and then he's stand up edge rusher on the next, that kind of versatility is going to help him because it means that no matter what sort of system a team is running, uh, Thule can probably slot in and play somewhere. Whereas usually like if you're a defensive end, a classic defensive end in a four, three set, and, and uh, you get a coaching change and now they run a three, four, there's really no obvious place to put you because you're a tweener for both of those spots. Thule may be a tweener, but the good news is he can play everywhere. And so I think he's, I think he's going to be around for a very long time. I don't know if he's going to make pro bowls, but it wouldn't surprise me if he stays healthy, if he's, uh, if he's in the league eight or 10 years, I think that's, that's pretty likely. All right. Who's going to have the longest and most successful NFL career and why? Yeah, I, I mean, I like the the Thule answer mostly because he doesn't get hurt, and if he does get hurt, he's not going to tell anybody, and he'll play through it anyway. So he, he's going to be on the field, at, you know, for, for as long as he wants to, and that effort uh, that he plays with is going to endear himself to another coaching staff already two at USC, and I, I think the Chargers are going to fall in love with him all over again when he gets on the field there. Um, so going a different direction. I think Jordan Addison is going to be a guy who his talent is going to keep him on the field for a long time. The NFL now, it's tough to keep. When you talk about him joining Justin Jefferson, it feels like you have to, you always have to draft that guy's replacement because that guy, eventually you're going to have to pay him and you're not going to be able to pay him enough money. So if he can play up to that potential, maybe he becomes that next guy uh, for the Vikings and kind of takes over that role. And, and then you've got some longevity there until they draft somebody else. And now you've got to go find a different place to play. But I think I feel pretty confident in those top two guys really sticking and, and being impact guys. And, and look, I, not to take Mark's guy, but if he says Andrew Voorhees is a guy who just gets plugged in at right guard and plays for a decade. Sure. Sure. Why not? Mark, Eric took my guy. No, it, look, Andrew is just going to be the, like Eric said, you're going to plug him in. You know what you're going to get. You're just going to get a very consistent player who is, you're not going to have to say, all right, I got to find somebody to replace him next year. He's just not going to get the job done. As I mentioned, Andrew could play four out of the five positions on the offensive line. He did it at USC. If he stays healthy and that knee recovers the way his doctor's letter said it's going to recover, he's going to have a really long career, whether it's with Baltimore or a different team. That's besides the point. Andrew's going to stick around. He's just, he's, he's just a, a hardworking guy, puts his head down, does his job. You're never going to hear a complaint about him. Not to, not that the other guys are going to have any problems, but Andrew is just that type of guy. Well, I'll, I'll tell you, um, I think that uh, Voorhees is going to have the longest. I don't know if it's going to be the most successful. Could be over a length of time, 
I think that uh, Voorhees has had his time in the in the uh, surgical barrel, so to speak. And I I, I think offensive linemen uh, don't seem to get quite as well. They get physically uh, challenged, of course, but I think he'll have a great uh, run in the NFL. And uh, I can't think of a better player that deserves it. Uh, so good luck to to all of them. Uh, but it will be interesting to follow. Panel, the Trojans had a number of players that were not drafted but signed as free agents. Those free agents included running back Travis Dye with the New York Jets, uh, the, the aforementioned Brandon Peely with Miami Dolphins, uh, offensive lineman Bobby Haskins with Chicago Bears, and wide receiver Terrell Bynum with the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And someone that's kind of went under the radar with it, uh, Josh Follow reportedly has been invited to the New York Jets mini camp, whatever that's going to mean. Uh, of all the players signed, panel as free agents, who is the most likely to be on an NFL roster for the first 2023 regular season game? Uh, Chris, prediction? Yeah, this one's easy for me. It's Travis Dye. Here's the thing. If you want to make a roster as a free agent guy, you have to have a lot of versatility. And you have to be somebody who the team is going, going to want to have in the locker room, right? Somebody of, of, uh, of high character who's going to, uh, uh, who's going to do, do the right things all the time. Travis Dye's not very big, and he's not very fast. Uh, but Travis Dye is a football player, and you can, uh, I think he, he's a guy who you can see um, getting a lot of time as a third down back. I wouldn't be surprised if four years and now we're talking about how Travis Dye is a pro bowler for special teams, right? He, he's a guy who you could stick out there who would, who would bust his butt and become the best kickoff coverage guy in the league, right? You could, you could see him doing that. So I think Travis Dye is going to play for a long time. And, and I can't think of, I can't think of another Trojan who, tra who, who played only one year for USC who I uh, who I have fonder you know memories of than Travis Dye, just a fantastic kid, a fantastic football player, who squeezed out every single drop of production he could squeeze out from what was in many respects a pretty a, a pretty average level of of talent. Just a just a great guy, and I think he's going to be around a long time. Eric, you agree? Yeah. Yeah, and and specifically when he went into the special team stuff, because I, I think Travis Dye is one of those guys. He he gets football and he can help you in so many different ways. To go a different way instead of just talking about Travis Dye again, Brandon Peely is an interesting one for me, just because those bodies you you need them. You you need a bunch of those big bodies who can move a little bit, and and I think maybe if you can play and stay healthy and are, are physically up to it, that interior defensive line spot is, is probably the easiest spot because teams are looking for him all over the place. And so uh, I think that is kind of a, a path that he could take to stick, especially because I, I know the Dolphins, they, they don't seem to be super excited about a lot of their interior defensive linemen, uh, so that there may be a spot for him to land. But in terms of a guy showing up to a mini camp as an undrafted free agent and staking his claim to I deserve to be one of your 53 guys I, I'm not going to pick anybody over Travis Dye in terms of making an impression and a coach ultimately feeling like we're a better team 
if if he's in our locker room than than without him. So uh, th- those two, I, I think, probably have potential um, to to stick. Mark, who's your call? Yeah, those are the right answers. I mean, we we would love to you know to see the other three stick around and, and latch onto a team for the season, but you know if they do, it's going to be on the practice squad. But as far as you know, Travis Dye and and Brandon Peely, those are fifty three man roster guys. So I mentioned Peely earlier. You don't typically see six figure signing bonuses given out to undrafted free agents. So Eric just said it. You know Miami's not too keen on what they have on their roster. They might have found a a cheap way of bolstering their roster. Uh, whether he's going to be a, a starter, I don't. I doubt it, but. Of those guys who signed as undrafted, it's it's Travis and Brandon, um, Bobby. Well, he had some he had some injury issues in his one year at USC, and he had injury issues at Virginia. That stuff carries over to the NFL, and you know Josh Follow. Look, you get you get to see him make one great play every year, and then that's all you see from him. So I just don't know if he's going to be able to break that cycle as a professional. Uh, and I will uh, agree. It's going to be Travis Dye. I am not quite as high on Brandon Peely as some of you. Uh, I wish him well. I hope he does stick. But I think that I feel more comfortable saying that uh, Travis Dye will be uh, on that NFL roster for all the mentioned uh, reasons. All right, here's a poisonous question. Uh, there have been obviously been many hundreds of USC players that have been drafted into the NFL. Panel of all the USC draft picks, name a Trojan player that never lived up to their high draft status. All right, Chris, sock it to us. I, I can think of a handful off those early Pete Carroll teams, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Mike Williams, who was, I think he was picked number 10 overall, maybe 11. Uh, actually lost a year of eligibility because he tried to get to the NFL a year early. Mike Williams was as dominant a college football player as I've seen play at USC. I mean, I've said it before on this show, he was extraordinary. And you usually, and, and he would physically dominate games from wide receiver, which I don't think I've really seen much in football before. Just incredible. And, and I'm stunned that Mike Williams went to the NFL and did next to nothing. I'm stunned that he couldn't, you know, work out and stop eating enough to do something, if we're going to be honest, because that, that was his problem. But Mike Williams was extraordinary, and there's no way in the world that that guy should not have had a 10-year career where he's catching 1,000 yards of, uh, 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 you know, in receiving every year. So he's, he's my pick. All right. Eric, who is it? Yeah, sure. It's, it's, I think Mike Williams, but I'm, I'm turning the car around because I feel like we've hit on a lot of negativity the past couple of things with USC players that haven't panned out. So I'm going the other way players that have, that have outplayed their draft stock. And, and recently I think Talanoa and and Amon Ra are, are absolute, you know, picks for that, but going way, way back, Dennis Thurman was an 11th rounder. He ended up with 36 career interceptions for uh, interception returns for touchdowns and to bring it current he has hooked up with Deion Sanders uh, and is coaching with him now so he's at Colorado as a director of quality control on the defense there so got into coaching he was the defensive coordinator at Jackson State uh, with with coach prime there too so gonna see him a little bit around the Pac-12 but 
always positivity from me. The three of you can go negative and uh, and, and pick more guys that, that didn't pan out. So yeah, we're just answering whatever question we want now. Is that what this show has turned yeah, out? Yeah, I would just question out there. That's it fine. Is. If that's what we're doing, that's fine. I'll be happy to do that. Yeah. Okay. My you have to, you have to turn it, right? You have to you have to go in that direction a little bit, and then you can grab the wheel as you're talking and go wherever you want. Yeah. Okay. Well, oh, boy, Eric, what a kissy. Uh, you know, I, I have to say that, thank God, Mark follows you. Because I know Mark will have an answer to this one. So, uh, Mr. Negativity, uh, who do you have? Um, I like Tommy's versus in and out and what in. in so. <laughs> right, you're going the McKinney route. Stop it! Stop it now! I'll be honest. I, I'm with these guys. This these types of questions. If you get drafted, you've 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 crossed that threshold. You've you've you you've gotten through the door. What happens when you get to the NFL? There are so many things. There's there's injuries. Do we take oh, that into consideration? Really? I'm sorry, Greg. If you want to call out players who sucked, that's I didn't say they sucked. Did I say suck? Was sucked in the question? Hey, Greg, I don't have a problem being negative. The two of no, us no, just go back Chris, and forth Chris. and be negative for the rest of the show. It's fine. Well, you're very manly, Chris, and I think Thank it shows. <laughs> who didn't live up to expectations? Split the hair. You're saying who didn't do that, what they should have done when they got to the NFL? You're I didn't say they them. should have done. They didn't. That's all I'm saying. I'm not trying to. Oh, you're saying they're Versions on their personality or their calling their them a bust. Right? You're calling them a bust. I don't want to do. I that. didn't. Did I, did I say the word bust, Mark? You didn't use the word bust. No, I did not use. The word bust. Was a bust. I'll say it. I'll say it. I mean, that, right? Any first round pick, right? Matt Liner is in there too, right? The, okay, guys go, okay. the guys that go in the first round and don't end up multi-year pro bowlers and in the discussion for Hall of Fame, if you go in the top 10. Reggie then, Bush. And yeah. yes. Reggie Bush played a long time and he had some decent years, but Reggie Bush didn't come close to being the type of NFL player that people expected him to be. I mean, he was a generational talent as a college football player. Was he that went number two, you? and that was a shock that he didn't go number one. Mark, you don't get to talk on this. You've decided you don't want to participate. But, I, but so, you're using but you're using my context. You're not saying Reggie Bush got hurt in the NFL. Was he used the right way? Those are types of things that you look at. I would say Reggie Bush had a really good career in the NFL. Was it his Heisman year at USC? Of course not. It's not what it's not what you expect when you draft a number two overall. I wouldn't have I've also I've been told that Reggie Bush accounted for zero yards uh in his Heisman career when we look at the the stat sheet. So not yeah, super impressive. Talk about a bust. He was a big time, he was a big time guy in, in 2004, 2005. He gets zero yards, zero touchdowns. Incredible. Terrible. So there you it, go, Greg. You got everything you wanted out of this question. You got everybody yelling at each other. No, no Greg's gonna tell us the answer oh, no. now. I'm gonna give my answer. Okay, okay, Greg. Let me preface it though by saying this. I thought had USC beaten Texas, Matt Liner would have been considered perhaps the greatest college football player ever, if not quarterback ever. Uh, he certainly deserved that title, in my opinion. But his transition to the NFL, I don't think he lived up to his his draft choice. He didn't spend all that long in the NFL. Uh, his identity will always be USC, which it should be. He's one of the great legends of all time. I just don't think that he lived up to the status that, uh, you know, that he had in the college football. And, and that doesn't take away from what he did in college. 
Uh, I don't get too wrapped up, honestly, with players that transition. There's very few players that that can really have that. Um, O.J. Simpson was able to do it. Uh, Marcus Allen was able to do it. A number of players have been able to do it. Ron Yeri was able to do it. But, you know, a lot of times the pro game just doesn't match for whatever reason uh, where a player is drafted. So it's Matt Leinert for me. So with that, let's 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 have love, peace, and happiness by turning to the viewer questions and panel answers. It's overtime. We've got just a, uh, about four questions here that we'll let you guys all chop uh, around with. Uh, this is from Ephraim in Bell Gardens, California. Does a player that places his name in the transfer portal have to pick and sign with the school inside of the portal transfer dates, or can he still sign with the school after a portal window closes? Are there any potential players in the current portal window the Trojans could still sign? I think that this is kind of a really good question because I think a lot of people are confused that they think because the portal window ends, a player can't sign. So somebody wanted to give the definitive answer other than me on this? So you have to have your name in by April 30th inside the portal. But you can show up and enroll at school whenever you want. I mean, yeah, the portal, the portal players won't sign the way high school players will. So they'll, they'll just enroll at the school, right? Caleb Williams pretty famously enrolled like the last day that USC students could, could enroll uh, in classes for that spring semester for him to be eligible to play that spring. So most of these guys, I think will want to be there by that kind of summer bridge summer school program. And so they could just, if they want to show up that day and roll in school, I mean, obviously the coaches would have to have a heads up that, that they're coming, but uh, so, so no, there's no, there's no set day now on, I mean, that there's still, you know, Tricon Fagans is, is a guy from uh, coming out of Alabama that USC is still talking to about official visits and, and there's guys uh, in the portal that will take they'll take a little bit still taking official visits still trying to figure it out but like mark said that that april 30th date and technically that's the date that they have to tell their own school i want to be put in the portal the school then has 48 hours which is why some guys could still show up you know the the monday or tuesday after that deadline uh as they go in i i do think and and I don't mean to add more questions to this. I think they've locked down those grad transfers to where they had this same date, this same kind of May 1st, April 30th date. It used to be like previously they could go in just whenever they wanted um, before the portal started. Like they could go in before that April 15th date um, to be able to, to make their decision. But no, at this point, I think we should know all the names that are in the portal, where they end up landing could go all the way, all the way into fall if, if they wanted to take it all the way then. All right. Question two from Rory in Point Loma, California. Where do most recruiting analysts get their information from? From me. I have a newsletter. <laughs> Did it just come out? Is this a new uh, business venture for you? wasn't open to the public it is now but it'll cost you a hundred dollars a month but if you want yes. to send me a hundred dollars by zell every month i'll send you an email about the recruits you want to pay attention to it's called arledge on negative recruiting yeah oh there you go there's no negativity <laughs> Eric, there because mark, mark said he wouldn't read it if i got negative that's true 
But uh, let's get to, to Eric. You did this for ESPN. They thought the world of you. You're the West Coast representative. Uh, you were considered a recruiting analyst. Uh, you still are. Where do you get most of your information from? You get it. You get it from from the players. You get it from the recruits. You get it from their family members. You get it from their teammates, their coaches. You get it from kind of whoever you can talk about. High school coaches, seven on seven coaches. It seems like you get more information about other people instead of going like to to that kid and asking him about his process. If you go to somebody else, you can get a lot more information about about their process. Um, but call you know college coaches will will always discuss you know clearly off the record um about kind of what's going on and and uh that kind of stuff. so so from anywhere you get it from from a kid's neighbor or you know the some some guy a lot of it is some guy works with some recruits dad or knows the sister or whatever and and the aunt has no idea that this official visit is some kind of secret and she's telling everybody at work about it and and it just kind of kind of gets out. So no, there's no, there's no one place um, unless you do subscribe to, to Chris's newsletter, which he really boils it down and in, into one spot and, and you can just get everything there. Yeah. Now I just want to, uh, Eric, since you're the editor in chief of USC, uh, we are sc.com. I don't publish. Is there I any don't possibility publish Chris's newsletter? Is there any possibility that Chris's newsletter could be uh, an adjunct to uh a subscriber at wrsc.com no 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 it's it's far too highbrow for anything that we would publish uh, on our site yeah, yeah if you if you read or listen to wrsc content you probably wouldn't understand it i use lots of big words so no sorry it's true i just i, would like I just to... i just offended all of our viewership and all of my <laughs> readers and you know what that's what they come here for of course of course no doubt about it high high entertainment here uh, I would just like to add to the analyst thing. When I was uh, more heavily involved in it, uh, I thought the, the starting point for me was to see the player at a camp, whether it was a Nike camp or whether it was a Under Armour camp. Uh, I, that's where I want. I wanted to see for myself what this player was like. Not that I distrusted other analysts, but what Eric said was absolutely true. You you get the under the rug stuff from from seeking out stuff. Uh, but I started off always to get my information from from some of these camps and participation areas. All right, let's move on. We got just a couple of questions left, then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, from Tomas in Moreno Valley, California. For what seems like generations, the recruiting scene has been dominated uh, by the LA area, uh, but now it's the Inland Empire part of Southern California. How did the Inland Empire become such a hotbed of high school recruiting? Uh, let me just start off first with Eric, and then I think, Chris, you probably have an idea because you're kind of like on the borderline there, right? Uh, so, Eric, what 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 turned the Inland Empire into this uh, uh, mother load of uh, gold nuggets? They've, they've always had guys. It's it's totally cyclical, I think, where you, where you see guys play. And honestly, a lot of those guys, the, the Inland Empire, I think uh, – has probably not been seen recently because a lot of those kids came out to Orange County to, to modern day to schools like that to come play. So those guys that are leaving from those high schools closer to Los Angeles, close in, in Orange County, 
those have been Inland Empire guys. And so I think it's just, it's, it's where you play football. There's a lot of kids that are playing football out there and, and they've done a good job uh, with some of those programs, but you don't see, you know, the, the last couple of years, like Corona Centennial hasn't been, you know, pumping out re- recruits going back to like, uh, you know, Drake Jackson and Gary Bryant when, when it was boom, boom, you know, a few years in a row. Um, but I, you know, I, I don't know that I'd say, Oh, the Inland Empire all of a sudden now, you know, is, is producing all these big time guys. It, it feels like it's, um, feels like it's kind of, kind of been how it always is. You, you get guys all over, all over California. Um, the change for me that that's disappointing has been Bosco and modern day, just everybody coming there to those two schools. I, I loved it when guys, you go to your local high school, you, you still see that occasionally. And I understand what it is. You see those weight rooms, you see the the championships, the kinds of games they're playing when they're go, going and playing across, across the country. Some of these big time schools, huge atmospheres. So I understand it. Uh, but I, I think because there's so many transfers and so many guys moving around, you get a little skewed perception on where these kids are actually are actually from where where they grew up yeah you know i'll chip in on this you know for many years of course concord de la salle uh was the not only big power in northern california but nationally and uh i had friends up there and they say you can't believe where some of these players are coming from to go to concord de la salle it's not like a little area and i think that the and i think you hit on a great point you know, if you really take a look at the modern day rosters of St. John Bosco, and you if you're familiar with the Southern California area, it really is uh, jaw-dropping to find out how these players from really great distances away, uh, you know, there was, uh, you know, players coming from Palos Verdes, you know, the, the area of which uh, Lincoln Riley lives in, in that particular area, going to modern day. And I can't say, I, I say to myself, how in the world could you get up early in the morning to cross across Southern California to be in a classroom at eight o'clock in the morning? Uh, I don't know how you do that day in and day out. It's even uh, players from the Inland Empire coming into modern day. I mean, this is not a put down on modern day. It's not a put down in St. John, but just the transportation issues, uh, how you could keep that pace up. We know how long football practice is and how long, you know, you, you have Saturdays and so on and so forth, but to really see where modern day and St. John have players coming from, uh, they're super, super powers, well-deserved, but it is really amazing where they all come from. You just don't really hear about it. Uh, you know, if you're watching a college football game, they'll always tell you where a player's from. He's, you know, he's from Denver, Colorado. He's from, you know, Athens, Georgia, but you don't see that at the high school level, but it's amazing. Eric, I have one question and we're going to finish it up. You are from the San Diego area. Is there anything comparable to modern day or uh, St. John when it comes to taking players from all over San Diego and getting them in one high school? No, I mean, not to that level. No, nobody in San Diego is playing high school football at the level of those two. Uh, Cathedral Catholic for for a few years felt like they were kind of gathering a, a lot of players. And, and a lot of times it's, um, you know, a, a school like that. Uh, 
no, nothing comes to mind right now. There's always going to be that, right? You're you're always going to get a group um, of kids that kind of want to play together, and and there's always guys transferring all over the place. But in terms of just everybody, I mean, everybody landing at two schools, uh, not nothing jumps off the page um, right now. Greg, my move from Ocean View High School in Huntington Beach to Elsinore High School in 1989 was sort of the start of Inland Valley, uh, you know, the Inland Valley uh, uh, dominance. And that was really high school's first super team. And I think that those that goes unrecognized, but we were we were modern day in Bosco before there was modern day in Bosco. You can read about in the archives of the Arledge newsletter. It's one, one of the one of the first articles. I, I was a five star in the in the first edition of that. The, the original question, there's actually an underlying point. Why was the Inland Empire starting to grow over LA, Orange County? Economics. People are moving because they can't afford to live in LA County or in Orange County. And you were starting to see that migration out there. So that that I know I'm kind of taking this into a different rabbit hole, but that plays a part. And all of a sudden, you know, you, Eric, you brought up the modern day in the St. John Bosco. Here's a perfect example. You have DeAndre Carter. He travels from Temecula every day back and forth to modern day. That's, I mean, that's a player that for all intents and purposes should be playing at Lake Elsinore or in Temecula, one of those programs. He schlepping an hour and a half each way, back and forth every day. This is also the why. This is also why you're seeing um, what I mean. The South has always been been great for college football recruiting, but you're starting to see more recruits from Arizona, more from Nevada. Uh, you're seeing more from Texas. Texas always had a lot, but but these are areas of high growth. You have lots of young families moving to these places, and that means you're going to have a lot more a lot more high school football players coming out of those places. Yeah, you take a look at Bishop Gorman in uh, Las Vegas. Oh. That'd be a superpower. Well, this kind of transitions to our last question, which I think probably is appropriate from Steve-O, uh, USC. He says, and I have heard this, but uh, I have no direct knowledge of it, but what is it about St. John Bosco and USC? It seems like it is almost impossible to successfully recruit from the, uh, from them while modern day loves USC, uh, is there any truth to the rumor? I mean, SC has had players. They have players on the current roster from St. John Bosco, Jude Wolf to, to, uh, for one. I think Colombo, the, the walk-on running back, uh, and Raylan Goforth was another. But it seems like a lot of the high, really high-profile players do not have not in the past gone to uh, USC. Is that a legitimate? uh or just pure fantasy what what's going on there no it's legitimate they're they're, they're usc and st john bosco it's, it's not a tenuous relationship mm -hmm. but there are people you know who have who think they have the student athletes best interest at heart Sometimes they have their own interest at heart. And I, I guess that's the best way to tap dance around that subject. Well, how about this? Greg, let's imagine you're a high school football coach and you actually care about your players and you think they have a chance to be, they have the talent to be an All-American and an NFL draft choice. Do you send them to play for Clay Hill? But it's still <laughs> happening with Lincoln Next question. <laughs> it's still happening with Lincoln Ryan. Yeah, that's but Lincoln, when Lincoln Riley shows that his teams can play defense, 
I think Bosco players who play defense would be more willing to play at USC. I mean, I, I, I put the, I put the fault on USC because the reality is that a lot of those Bosco kids were going to Ohio state and places like that, where they were actually going to have a real coaching staff instead of clay Hilton. And, and when USC stops giving up 41 points a game to any halfway decent offense, that will help too. I think they'll stop this year, but if they don't stop this year, it's hard to blame local kids from saying, you know what? I think I'll go play defense in Alabama. I mean, what are you going to do? USC, ha- USC has to coach better. I think they have the staff in place. I'm not, this is not my criticism of Lincoln Riley. I'm just saying, when Clay Helton's a coach, you probably should steer your players somewhere else. But why that one specific high school? That's the issue. Well, you know, we talk all the time about USC or, or the last few years missing on California kids. They're not all Bosco kids. And, and look, I don't have the answer to this question, but who who's the last Bosco player to get drafted in, into the NFL out of USC? I mean, it, it's not like USC has missed on every Bosco guy. You mentioned Jude Wolf, and obviously he hasn't had a chance to get, get drafted yet, but Chris Steele, you know, that that's a guy that Bosco coaches can kind of point to. Raylan Goforth didn't really turn into, you know, a, a big time player at USC. So they they've had some guys come from Bosco to USC. And if that's the, the point, those guys haven't developed to where they become elite players, then I can understand, hey, let's not go there. Let's go to these other places. Now you look around the country at what Bosco players have turned into. Wyatt Davis was a big time guy. And he ended up, I, I think, a third round pick, which again, I'm not I'm not, not gonna knock becoming a third round pick at all. Trent McDuffie is kind of the, the one name that jumps out as turning into a first round guy. And he was at Washington, but it sure feels like Bosco has produced. I mean, you know, DJ went all the way over to Clemson. And it didn't really work out for him not going to USC. I think Bo Collins has done a, a little bit out there at Clemson, but not in that kind of Jordan Addison, whatever conversation. So, hey, don't, so forget it's, about it's Josh Rosen. don't forget about Josh Rosen's fantastic career. <laughs> I, right. So, so there is, there's something, you know, there's something to that, right? Like are, are the players coming out? Because I, at this point, I talked about a little bit how, it's disappointing, I think, a bit to see these teams kind of gang up with each other, the, the modern day and, and the Bosco. At this point, I, I really think there is something to film where you're you're the guy on defense, right? You have to play linebacker. And oh, by the way, you have to play six other spots, too, because you're playing with a bunch of guys who are five, two and getting run over. And you're the guy. Right. I, I think there's something to seeing that kind of film of a guy that needs to do that and offensively too, right? Can, can you be the guy when everyone knows the ball's going there? I think being part of a defense where you've got 11 big time D1 players as starters, yeah, it's fun. And yeah, you're going to win a ton of games, but is that kind of the, the best for development? And, and what does that look like when you go to the next level? So, so it's, there's always stuff to weigh, right? Bosco Marade are going to produce Bryce Young just, just went number one. He had an okay college career, I think, coming out of Marade playing with some loaded teams. So you're going to find hits, you're going to find misses. But I think when you look at that kind of Bosco to USC, the guys who have gone, I can understand kind of what Chris is saying, where it's 
do you want to send them there? Is that is that the best case scenario the last five, six, seven years for them to go there? Um, if if they're not becoming, you know, the best players that you think they can be. I also, what Mark had said, I think there's a lot of that across the country where coaches are, how does this, how does this affect me? How does this shine back on me rather than is this the best spot for this kid? Even if he doesn't become a big time football player, is that still maybe the best spot for him? And, and again, they're weighing all of that stuff too. So it, it's it's just not going to be a, a simple answer. Chris is right. If USC goes to the playoffs, the defense is really good and USC wins 12, 13 games this year, you're going to find it a whole lot easier to recruit from, from any school, from any school, Bosco especially, I think. All right. On that positive note, a reminder, if you have a question or comments for our panel, go to either the WeRSC message boards, click on the thread that pertains to inside the Trojan huddle, viewer or listener questions. So great show, guys. That'll do it for Tuesday's edition of Inside the Trojan Huddle. Hope you all enjoyed it. Uh, so until next Tuesday, a big thank you again to uh, panelists Mark Culkin, Eric McKinney, and Chris Arledge. And a special thank you to all of you loyal listeners. We appreciate both your viewership and your comments. Uh, we try to keep it all constructive here, and uh, we do really appreciate you watching. So have yourself a great week. Uh, until then, this is your moderator, Greg Katz, reminding you all to fight on, everybody.